Well, good morning to all of you who have tuned in to our live stream today at Anderson Hills United Methodist Church. And many thanks to all of you who came in today to help uh, with this live stream to make it all possible, uh, especially uh, to Susan Mahaney, who's had the job of... <laughs> Your fans are down here, Susan. Uh, she's had the job of keeping us uh, uh, up to date on what's going on in our world and then communicating it uh, to you, our congregation. She has worked very hard these last few days. Well, this has been quite a week, hasn't it? The coronavirus has taken us by storm. And needless to say, things are constantly uh, changing. Uh, we made the decision just on Friday uh, to begin closing down uh, most of our activities. Now, funerals and, and weddings are still going on, uh, but this has disrupted everything. Uh, it's disrupted our economy, uh, work plans, uh, school plans, um, uh, travel plans. Uh, today, in fact, was to be Confirmation Sunday for 21 of our ninth graders, and now that will have to be postponed to a later date. But the truth is, all of us are going to be forced to slow down and perhaps spend a little bit more time with our families, and that can be a, a very good thing. Let's remember also during this crisis to continue to be the church. Uh, let's check in on each other, check in with your neighbors, especially uh, the more vulnerable ones. Uh, please don't fight over the last roll of toilet paper at your local um, uh, grocery store, because this is stressful really for everyone. And let's be praying. Uh, let's be praying that this crisis uh, passes quickly. Uh, pray for those who have been afflicted uh, with the virus. And let's pray for wisdom uh, for our leaders as they uh, attempt to deal with it. You know, the Apostle Paul found himself in a crisis once. Uh, he was a prisoner on a ship bound for Rome when they ran into a huge storm. And this storm lasted for days, and it looked like the ship was going to go down and that all would be lost. People were in a panic. But in the midst of it all, the Apostle Paul stood up and said to them, oh, But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. For last night an angel of the God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. You see, the people on this ship had forgotten one thing that we must never forget in the midst of a crisis, that God has the final say. That God is king of the universe, that God is in control, that God has a plan, See, there was one person on the ship who had not forgotten, and he is calm and confident. He has courage in the crisis. Everybody else was predicting the end of the world, throwing in the towel, but, but not Paul. You see, the test of a person's faith, the test of a person's religion, is how they handle things in a crisis. I mean, anybody can believe when everything is going great. When your prayers are answered, when the stock market is going up, when you're in perfect health and your kids are doing well, when you've got that job that you've always wanted. 
But the test of faith is how you do in the tough times when the storms of life begin to arise. Now listen to what gave Paul calmness in the, in the crisis. It was this. He knew that God was with him. You see, storms can, can never hide the face of God. Oh, you may not see him, but he sees you. You may think and feel that God is a million miles away, but he is there right beside you. So wherever you are, God is there, and you never, ever go through a storm without him. No matter what situation you find yourself going through right now, God is willing to help you with it. And Paul also knew this. He knew that God had a purpose for him, and that purpose would be fulfilled. He was going to Rome to fulfill the plan of God, and nothing was going to thwart that plan, not even a hurricane. Oh, sure, the the storm would sidetrack them, would get them off course, would delay them. It wasn't going to be smooth sailing anymore, but God was going to be sure that Paul got to Rome. And God will do the same for us. So let's never forget that God is with us and that God will get us through it. Well, in our scripture lesson today, um, Jesus is about to sail into his own storm. We find the story in Matthew's gospel, chapter 3. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. John tried to deter him by saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus replied, let it be so now, for it is proper for us to fulfill all righteousness. And so John agreed. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, there to be tempted by the devil. So John is preaching his fiery message of repentance and baptizing those who come to the Jordan River when Jesus suddenly approaches him and asks to be baptized. And John is more than reluctant. He recognizes that Jesus is greater, and and he says, I need to be baptized by you. But Jesus insisted. He said, do it. God's work, putting all things right, is coming together right now in this baptism. Now, early Christian writers struggled with this as well. You see, traditional Mediterranean culture was honor-based. The lesser always served the greater. And so this was flip-flopped. And in doing this, though, Jesus shows that his life is going to be based on something quite different. His life will be based on humility and service. And so John baptized Jesus, the skies opened up, and the Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove, and a a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So imagine what that must have meant for Jesus, to have the, the Father's approval and to have heard this voice of affirmation, all three members of the Trinity there, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus receives the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and now he is ready for what is about to come next. And I want to remind you, God does the same for us. 
You see, when we're baptized, we also receive God's mark of approval. We are declared his child. Just last week, we read in John chapter 1, verse 12, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And in our baptism liturgy, we, we pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon that newly baptized person. See, it's useless to try to live a Christian life without the presence of the Holy Spirit. In fact, I pray almost every single day for a, a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit in order to meet the challenges that are before me. I figure if Jesus needed the power of the Holy Spirit, I probably do too. But chapter 4 begins this way. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now that's really interesting. The Spirit led him into the wilderness? <laughs> In fact, Mark's gospel is even stronger. It says the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. Now why in the world would the Spirit of God lead Jesus into this God-forsaken place? And the only possible answer that I can come up with was it was to test him. Yeah, Jesus was fully divine, fully God, but he, let's not forget he's also fully human. Let's not forget that he struggles, the same struggles that we had, same things that we encounter, including temptation to, to make wrong choices. You see, temptation begins up here in our thought life, doesn't it? Possibility plus indecision often equals temptation. And whenever two or, or more strong options meet, we, we have a choice to make. I mean, who of us here has not uh, spent a sleepless night with the mind scanning every avenue and, and then settling on none? <laughs> like you, I've had to make choices throughout my life. Some of them are pretty simple, like how do I spend a few dollars or a few hours or how do I spend the weekend? Other times, I've had to make decisions that were painfully complex and important. Well, where do I go to college? Uh, do I marry this person I've fallen in love with? Um, uh, do, I, do I take a job that offers a promotion but requires me to move my family? And sometimes, let's be honest, sometimes they involve the temptation to skirt the edges of right and wrong with the promise of something that's glittery and maybe even a little exciting. But generally, at least for me, temptation rarely makes a full frontal assault. Usually it comes in through the back door. Sometimes it comes as, as something I think I deserve, something I think I've earned. And sometimes, if I'm honest, sometimes I, I just do it because, well, it's the easiest choice to make. And we struggle. And we cannot, for the life of us, put the struggle away. And so we toss and we turn. We, we test new perspectives. We're anxious. We're afraid. We're, we're wondering what will work best. And if we're people of faith, hopefully we pray about it, hoping that God will send a message that will give us some guidance, maybe a, a big finger in the sky that points us in the right way. And, and then we get mad at ourselves for being so, so indecisive. But here's the truth you can take to the bank. Every committed Christian will find himself or herself spending time in this wilderness of temptation. And oftentimes it will follow a, a spiritual high moment. Go on a Christian retreat or a conference, a mission trip. Do the walk to Emmaus or, or be baptized and join the church. And the next day, I promise you, there'll be a testing, an opportunity to turn back 
and head down the wrong way. I've had many women and men come to me because they find themselves in this wilderness. So much so, I believe that it is the normal part of the spiritual life that God actually allows us to go through such experiences to give us the opportunity to grow closer to Him. And I find they find that they, 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 they struggle with difficult and painful ethical and spiritual decisions and they're not easily resolved. And out of this wilderness experience, they either make choices that cause them to grow closer to God or they may make choices that cause them to go farther away. Why does God do this? Perhaps to wean us away from the milk of a purely emotional or, or childish faith to something that's solid and mature, to, to begin to train our minds to distinguish between good and, and evil, right and wrong, and, and to open our ears to the leading of, of the Holy Spirit. The other day I had an opportunity to make the right choice. It was a small choice, but I was talking to someone and a sarcastic thought popped into my brain, which often happens. And I had a second or two to dismiss the thought, but instead I allowed it to hang around in my, in my thought life just a little bit too long, and before you know it, out it popped. And immediately I had to apologize. But what would you think would happen if, to my ability to make good decisions if time after time I refused uh, to listen to the Holy Spirit helping and guiding me? What if I listened to all those negative thoughts? Well, it would be disastrous for my spiritual life. In fact, my faith life could gradually go, grow cold if I persisted. Well, how does Jesus handle this? Well, he's been fasting for 40 days. So my guess is that food was high on his priority list, that even the rocks were looking good enough to eat. And the enemy knows that Jesus is hungry, and so he attacks him at his weak point. He says, Jesus, turn these stones into bread. I, I know you can do it. I mean, it seems like a good idea. Makes sense. Seems reasonable. But you know, sometimes what seems reasonable isn't always. And so Jesus sees through this, uh, this uh, Satan's trick to get him to abuse his divine power to satisfy his earthly needs. And so he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. He says, It is written that man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, there's more to life than just eating. And he says, We live by what comes out of God's mouth, not by what goes into our mouth. Jesus is saying, The word of God is my life and it is my bread. It is my food. So the devil tries a different approach. He takes him to the holy city and, and had him stand the highest point of the temple. And he says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Notice, first of all, that, that, that he calls into question his sonship. He says, if you're the son of God. Now, Jesus had just heard a voice say, this is my son whom I love. So what he's saying is, if you really are God's son, then, then dazzle all these humans. Perform a spectacular feat. Throw yourself off this high building. Why not? You can do it. God will protect you. 
Now notice also the devil quotes scripture. Psalm 91 to be exact. Does that surprise you that the devil knows scripture? But Jesus knows it better. He knows it's been twisted and taken out of context. And so Jesus goes back to Deuteronomy again. He says, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. You don't tempt God with such foolish things. Then the third temptation. Okay, Jesus, tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you total authority and power over the earth. It's mine to give you. Just one little string attached, just one little thing. Bow down and worship me. Man, what an offer. Power, wealth, influence, popularity. Tens of thousands of follow on Twitter. <laughs> but Jesus sees through it all. He says, no, God alone deserves my all, and to him alone will I be obedient. Jesus faces a crisis and runs into three temptations, three choices, three decisions. Forget the main road. Forget the road to Calvary. Take this easy path. Use your divine power to grab whatever you want. But Jesus says no, and he chooses that hard road of obedience. And he lets you and me see him do it. I mean, think about it. No one would have witnessed this test, this temptation, except Jesus. And so he must have come back and, and shared this with his disciples so that it would be recorded for you and me to read. He wanted to demonstrate for us obedience and victory. He wanted us to see him struggle with making the right decisions. He's been in the wilderness. He's been tested. And he's been found true. And we can do the same. And do you know why he stayed true? Uh, I think it's because he knew what his purpose was. He knew where he was from and where he must go, and nothing could sidetrack him from that. And that's how you and I will make right decisions as well. When we know who we belong to, when we face those choices that look on the surface to be so right but are so wrong, what will keep us on the right track will be the Holy Spirit inside of us reminding us that, that we are God's child, that we are baptized, that we belong to him, that, that we have a purpose in life. And, and if we can stay grounded in that reality, we'll choose the right route every time. So the wilderness is not a negative evil. It can be absolutely a necessary good because it makes us really struggle to find out what God's will for us is. It, it makes us come to grips with who we are and where we're going. It, it, it forces us to, to think, to redirect our lives, to decide how we're going to be and how we're going to live. And the end of it all, we'll have a closer walk with Christ. You see, temptations are part and par parcel of the Christian life. We can expect them. Each appealing possibility drives us to decision. And oftentimes we're going to get lost. We're going to blow it. We're going to fail. Sometimes we're going to move from day to day without a clear sense of direction. But Jesus avoided it by staying focused on the central thrust of his life. He avoided the easy way. He avoided the wrong way. He avoided the traps that can so easily ensnare us. 
Well, Jesus has been baptized. He's been filled with the Holy Spirit. He has been tested and found true. Now he's ready to begin his ministry. He calls his disciples, and he begins to teach and preach and to heal the sick. You see, being baptized and joining the church isn't about having your name on the membership rolls so you can access benefits. We don't have gold card membership here at Anderson Hills. We don't have a, a platinum card that we can issue you. Really, it's, it's about a call to follow Jesus. And, and the call to follow Jesus is a call to come and die. What? Yeah, that's the invitation. L listen again to Jesus' words in Luke chapter 9. He says this, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. For what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? That's hard stuff. When Jesus made his invitation for us to come and follow, he, he welcomed anyone who would come after him. But he also made it clear that when we choose to follow him, we're giving up everything so that we can do ministry, so that we can serve each other, so that we can be the church. You see, when Jesus called Peter, James, and John, it says when they had, uh, when they had brought their boat to shore, they left everything and followed him. Everything. Does that make you nervous? <laughs> Makes me nervous too. Do we have to leave everything? Maybe yes, maybe no. But for them it did. You see, as long as Peter and James and John hung onto their nets, they're going nowhere with Christ. Before they could follow Jesus, they had to, to drop their nets. And that's true for all of us. Anything that inhibits or anything that prohibits my non-negotiated commitment to follow him. Jesus calls us to leave everything to become his disciple. Well, what storm, what crisis, what choice are you facing right now? It may be the most basic, fundamental choice of all. Will I go the Lord's way? Will I follow him or will I go my way? But the truth is we can't sit on the fence on this one. We have to choose. And to not choose is, in fact, to choose. It must be one or the other because there are no other choices. How will we choose today? Will we follow him? Will we give him everything? Let's pray. Oh God, we pray for all who are going through a storm a time of testing, a time of hardship. We pray for our nation and all nations that are going through this difficult time. Strengthen us, O oh God. Heal us. Draw us closer to each other. Fill us full of your Holy Spirit that we might be the church for this world in this time of crisis. O oh God, as we... Put more and more distance between each other. Help us to draw closer and closer to you, we pray, through Christ our Lord. Amen.